Today on Ag News Daily. I think one thing that makes it a little easier for us is our dad is super supportive of it and he loves anything to do with our social media. Yeah, he loves the arts <laughs> too. So he's like in there, like taking over the photo shoot at times. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. and Happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, unfortunately, I am back in the lower 48 today, freezing my butt off. Well, I'm personally glad to have you back, but I know you're probably not happy about the severe weather change that you came back to. No, there certainly is a lot of weather going on right now. And yesterday, you know, Ashton was Groundhog's Day and Puxatawney Phil saw his shadow. Yeah, I'm not extremely happy about that, but I also don't know that I put a whole lot of weight into those things either. No, and I was reading Eric Snodgrass's daily weather update, and he was talking about Puxatawney Phil because apparently people thought that he had died. And I didn't realize this, Ashton, but there are actually eight groundhogs that give their predictions across the U.S. It's just Puxatawney Phil is the most famous of those eight groundhog. Gotcha. Yeah. I heard that one of them died or I heard that a groundhog died and I thought, well, I guess we're not going to know whether or not that if we're going to have, you know, six more weeks of winter, I felt like it was a very 2022 thing to happen, but I guess we got our prediction after all. We did because it was Milton Mel from New Jersey that died, unfortunately. So we got that prediction there, uh, six more weeks of winter. And we're certainly seeing that play out today. I know, Ashton, your family there in the Dallas area has been, been suffering from some winter weather advisories. And we're seeing a lot of cold, cold weather sweep across the nation today. Luckily, I don't know how Iowa got out of this, but we have not been hit by the severe winter storm that is underway, but quite a few other areas down in Texas, um, up into Missouri, Illinois, et cetera. A lot of those states and even up in the Dakotas, they've gotten quite a bit of winter weather. Iowa has been unscathed this time around, though. Well, I guess we just got what was coming to us since I poke fun at you and the Iowa weather so much. But I woke up this morning and about 8.30, it felt like negative nine here in Lubbock, which was pretty unfortunate. But yeah, my parents, um, they actually live in Trenton, which is uh, about an hour northeast of Dallas or so. And they are without power still. They went without power from about 10 p.m. last night into today. So they've got a generator up and running We've got some portable heaters and they also have a fireplace. So they're doing okay, but there was just so much ice that I think that a uh, tree might've fallen on a line because they are without. And my mom said that the trees are feeling so heavy because of all this ice that the limbs are almost touching the ground in our front yard. So pretty severe there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was reading some other news talking about this weather pattern that's sweeping through. And, you know, a lot of the areas that are getting some snow and ice right now are areas that are in drought ridden areas. But even though about 70% of the country is still in drought, 
this winter weather storm isn't expected to alleviate all of those areas that really do need some more moisture because as you look at subsoil levels, there's a lot of depleted moisture levels there. And for wheat country, the latest condition ratings for the crop fell again last week with the biggest hit in Kansas and Oklahoma. Kansas is sitting at just 30% of their crop in good to excellent condition. And in Texas, crop conditions are also worse, only 6% in good condition. So while this winter storm is unfortunate, hopefully it does alleviate some of the dry weather patterns, dry soil we're seeing in other parts of the country. Well, Delaney, the part of the country that I want to talk about first here is Michigan, because their Department of Agriculture has confirmed two cases of bovine tuberculosis on cervid farms in the Lower Peninsula. Cervid facilities in Alcona and Sanilac County tested positive for bovine TB during routine testing. And these are the first cases to be reported in such facilities since 2009. The department says that while it has been multiple years since TB has been detected in farmed cervid species, it is found in free-ranging deer every year in Michigan, and the continued hunting of deer is vital to maintaining healthy deer populations as well as livestock herds. So I'm not sure exactly what they're doing with these cervid facilities that have been hit with TB, but I thought it was pretty interesting because, like I said, they haven't seen it on such facilities since 2009, so they've done a good job keeping it out up until this point. Well, Ashton, and some other cattle-related news here, of course, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention is going on this week down in Houston, and we saw the annual cattle facts report that happened, I believe, earlier this morning was pointing to an explosion in cattle prices within the next coming months. And they said that we've finally gotten through the backlog of heavyweight cattle, which was, of course, brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. And they're saying, you know, during the pandemic, processing plants were kind of in the driver's seat. They're now saying that that's shifted to beef producers having some leverage back in the industry. And Randy Block of Cattle Facts even went on to say today that beef demand is the highest in 33 years. So that is certainly exciting for beef producers. I would be curious to know, though, if beef producers actually feel like they are back in the driver's seat. Well, Delaney, as we continue to plow through 2022 here, something on a lot of people's minds is the 2023 Farm Bill. And we really haven't had a whole lot of discussions about the Farm Bill, but we're seeing more things, I think, kind of progress here. And we've heard from Secretary Vilsack saying that Congress could use the Farm Bill to promote a circular economy that creates jobs and income in rural America rather than relying on rural areas for raw materials that are processed elsewhere. And then this is now the second time in the past two weeks that we've seen Vilsack contrast the economy that we now see that exists today. But we also saw Vilsack announce the release of $1.4 billion in loans and grants to businesses in rural areas. The 751 projects were intended to create or save 50,000 jobs this year. He also said that the Biden administration's proposal to expand capacity in the meat industry could mean new local and regional processors. 
He says, of course, that a local processor would create local jobs, and that allows the revenue and wealth that's created from processing to stay in that community. So it sounds like Vilsack is really wanting, um, you know, more jobs and wealth in rural communities. And I, I think that that's a good thing, but also you have to think about the planning and, and things of that nature that really has to take place in rural America for these kinds of things to be effective and efficient. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting you talk about the farm bill. I was looking at reading an article earlier. It was an opinion, opinion piece, and I don't recall who wrote it, but it was just looking at, you know, some of these new programs that have been put in, under put in place under the farm bill, they were calling basically for us to see cover crop programs put in under the farm bill because they said that really the way you were going to see mass adoption of using cover crops is to see some sort of subsidy payment that goes along with it. So certainly thought that was interesting as well as we work through the farm bill. Be curious to see if new programs like that do get put into place. But I have a quick update here on a program that I mentioned on the podcast earlier this week, and that's some E-15 legislation moving through the state of Iowa, which would be a new mandate for Iowa fuel retailers to have to implement ways to have at least E-15 at the gas pump. And we saw that this new bill was voted on in the Iowa House on Wednesday and overwhelmingly passed with an 82 to 10 vote. It still has to clear the Iowa Senate before making its way to the governor's desk. But this bill, like I said before, won't really go into effect until 2026. Although if new fuel facilities go online after January 1st, 2023, they'll be required to implement E15 pumps right from the start of the opening. So they're getting a little bit of pushback from a few major gas stations, including Casey's, which is ironic because Casey's probably has the most gas stations in the state of Iowa. But they're saying that a mandate like this would run some small town retailers out of business completely. And they're saying that while there are a lot of their stores, their stores help support local communities with jobs and a market for fuel produced. And so they are opposed to the legislation. But I don't have a timeline on when it goes to the Senate. It went very quickly through the House. So I would assume it's probably going to be voted on very quickly by the Senate as well. Well, Delaney, I just have one other piece of news that I wanted to talk about today, and it's concerning Russia. I feel like we've had a ton of Russian news this week, you know, just even apart from what's going on with their tensions with the Ukraine. But this story is involving Russia and India. In India's first government-to-government negotiations with Russia for the long-term supply of fertilizers, Government and industry sources said that this is hedging against geopolitical instability and high global prices. Delaney, you and I have had some conversation here about what's going on in the fertilizer industry is pretty geopolitical when we kind of look at things. And obviously, there's a lot of political issues going on over in that part of the world right now. But India is a top importer of urea and other soil nutrients that's needed to feed the ag sector over there. So I think they're hurting pretty bad when it comes to what's going on with fertilizer right now. And I feel like some of the more intense stories that we've heard about fertilizer have come from India. One of those really crazy videos that came out of people rushing to buy fertilizer like it was Black Friday was coming out of India. And now we're seeing some fertilizer industry officials 
are going to visit Moscow later this month or early March to discuss the deals with the Russian trade minister. So I'm excited to see how this all plays out. I think what's going on in the fertilizer industry itself is pretty intense, but also just a lot of issues going on in that part of the world. Don't really know what's going to shake out here. No, we certainly don't. And we're getting, like I said, a lot of mixed messaging still, while some fertilizer prices or sectors of the industry have been decreasing in price. Others have still been continuing to skyrocket. So certainly a mixed bag there for fertilizer. And it was also a mixed bag today for the markets, Ashton. What do you say we hop in and look at where they left us today? Let's do it. Well, after its rampage the past week or so, you know, soybeans have added almost a, I think they've added actually more than a dollar now in old crop contracts. And today we finished mixed in the soybean pits as old crop soybeans pulled back just slightly and new crop soybeans continued to push ahead. March soybeans down a penny today to close at 1544 and a quarter. November new crop beans down, excuse me, up three cents to close at 1392 and three quarters. Corn showed weakness today with the March contract shedding five and three quarters cents, closing at 616 and three quarters. The Dece down four and three quarters cents, closing the day out at 568 and a quarter. Wheat also showed slight weakness today as the Chicago March contract ended at three and a quarter cent lower, settling at 751 and three quarters. The May down two and three quarters cents, closing the day out at 758 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we saw red across the screen. April live cattle down 15 cents, closing at a buck 46. June down a dime, closing the day out at 141.52 and a half. And in feeder cattle, that weakness continued with the March contract down 15 cents, closing at 166.72 and a half. The April down just two pennies, closing at 171.80. Lean hogs were not spared today from the weakness in the protein markets as the April lean hog contract shed 75 cents, closing at 98.37. The May down 85 cents, closing at 102.20. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. March today down 9 cents, closing at 21.42. The April down 12, closing at 21.48. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to your conversation today with the tulips. Well, guys, I'm very excited for the conversation that we are having today with Cassandra and Stephanie Lepp, otherwise known as the Two Lips. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having yeah, us. Thanks for having us. So before we get started, I really want to go into how you guys came up with your name because it's very unique. I thought your last name was Tulep when I first saw you guys on Instagram, but it's actually Lepp. So how did you get that name? Uh, lots of people actually think our last name is Tulip now, but um, there was a boy in our town. He's actually the same age as me, but um, he used to just call us the Tulips when we drove by or whatever. So um, we, we loved it. We and, stole it. Yeah, we stole that from him. <laughs> and when we bought our farm, our acreage here, we called it Tulip Ridge. So it was just a easy fit when we started our Instagram page. Well, I also want to talk about your operation here in a moment, but I definitely want to learn a little bit more about you guys, because I think that you have a unique background. You know, both of you guys went to university and we're planning on doing things that uh, you don't really do so much of now as owners and operators. So why don't you give us a little bit of a backstory? 
Well, I'm Cassandra. I'm the older sister and I went to business school. So I got my business degree. I finished it in 2010 and I was going to work at Springland Manufacturing, which is our dad and uncle's manufacturing company. They make bin sweeps. That was my ultimate goal. I also kind of wanted to be an interior designer early on. Um, But then when I was in university, I started working at the farm and I ended up loving it. And I did work at Springland for some years and it just ended up that it was easier to go full time with the farm and help our dad out that way. So I hope someday I might go back to Springland. We'll see. Yeah. And same for me. I didn't really know what I wanted to do after high school. So I took a year off and then I went to, um, School for Graphic Design and Web Development, because I thought I would also go work for Springland with that. And then I also wanted to be a model growing up, um, but we are from a town of like a thousand people. So it didn't really feel like a realistic goal to have. So I pushed that off until I was doing um, my practicum in Winnipeg, which is the biggest city near us. And I did modeling there for about a year. And then I did some freelance, but while I was going to school, I started farming also and just really liked working outside um, and running equipment. And I decided to focus on that solely. So let's get to where we are at now. You guys are owner and operators of a farm there in Canada. So what is it that you guys are farming? What does your day-to-day look like? All that good stuff. Uh, We have a grain farm here, so mostly we grow soybeans, canola, and malt barley. Um, We also have an aerial spray spray plane, which our dad flies, and we're the ground crew for that as well. And I think that the ground crew stuff is really interesting. You guys put out some really great content, you know, when it comes to your on-farm stuff and then the ground crew stuff. So tell me a little bit more about what being a part of the ground crew is like. I feel like I don't hear a whole lot of people, let alone women, who are doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's our dad's aerial spray company. And we have two airplanes, but he's the only pilot we have at the moment. So he flies an 802 air tractor, which is the biggest spray plane in the industry holds 800 gallons. So when um, our spray season is usually the very end of June um, into July for a couple of weeks, it's really gotten quite quick. Um, And during that time, our dad's only job is to fly. So he's there from sunup to sundown and all he should be thinking about is flying. So we kind of handle everything else. We take in all the orders, we mix the chemical, um, make sure that everything's right with the field, um, legal land descriptions, um, feed and water, feed him and water him and make sure he takes breaks. And yeah, we basically handle everything to do with the whole business besides flying it. Um, and it's really fast paced and really a lot of fun. So what is your favorite part about working so close with your family? You know, the saying goes that you should never do business with family, but it sounds like you guys are finding it pretty successful. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Parts of our life are not like, I, I know why people say not to work with family. I think um, it's very hard at times, but with our dad specifically, he is such a dreamer and He's an R&D guy. That's what he does at Springland. And he just, he's someone that you just gravitate to no matter who you are. So I think that's a real privilege to work with someone like that. And we do our best to get along. And I think we do a pretty good job, but definitely hard. Um, 
in other situations. Definitely a lot family. of off-screen moments. <laughs> <laughs> I have six sisters myself, so I know how that kind of stuff goes, being so yeah. doing all that stuff. Uh, we actually, we raise livestock down here, and one of my youngest sisters is just now getting into it, and she's a mess. I try to help her out and she thinks I'm bossing her around. So. Oh yeah. That's the sister, little sister thing. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. We have that dynamic as well, but uh, when it comes to getting some on-farm content, you know, how do you guys juggle that? Because just being a farmer, you're as busy just doing that, you know, working from basically sun up to sundown, like you said, but you're also capturing content. So how does that work? Um, some days it's kind of hard when we're in like really thick of it with seeding or, um, harvest and you just feel like you shouldn't be stopping to take pictures. I think one thing that makes it a little easier for us is our dad is super supportive of it and he loves anything to do with our social media. Yeah. He loves the arts (laughs) too. So he's like in there, like taking over the photo shoot at times. (laughs) Yeah. Telling you how to pose and all that stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we just try to fit it in as quick as possible. Like when we're really busy working, we, our shoots don't take very long. We just take like 10 minutes or something to get pictures and then I'll edit them later that night when I get home. So it definitely makes the days a little bit longer, but um, yeah. And then our off season, like winter time, we have way more time to do stuff because it's so cold here and we just try to stay inside as much as possible. Yeah. And a lot of our fashion type shoots, those ones, like uh, we did a campaign for a jewelry store um, here last summer and it happened on a morning where we should have been flying, but it happened to rain that morning. So we quickly got ready, did our shoot. Then it dried up enough that the plane could roll again. And then we ran off to the airport to start loading the plane. So like we just kind of schedule it in when the weather allows to. And what has your experience really been like being women who are so much in control of the ag operation, but also doing these, um, you know, modeling things and trying to represent agriculture really in a different light? I feel like it can be a little bit controversial at times just from the uh, women in ag kind of narratives. So what has that experience been like for you guys and how do you try to flip the script a little bit? I think at the start, people thought we were pretty weird. Um, A lot of people thought we weren't actually farming. And that's kind of why we wanted to do it. Like farmers don't have to look a certain way. And also, I just think about all the little girls that are watching us. You don't have to fit a mold to be something, no matter what that is. And the little boys, like I think it's people often focus on the little girls, but I think the little boys need to see it as well. Because then if they see a strong woman who doesn't fit, the part that society thinks she should, they're going to be more accepting of other people that are different. And I really, there's a little girl that's a mile from us, actually half a mile from us growing up with us farming right beside her. She's going to know that that's completely normal because that's what she sees every day. So that social media is allowing us to do that to people that aren't our neighbor next door neighbors. So hopefully the little people in the world see it and know that it's okay to be different. And for us, I think growing up, it was different because our dad was super supportive or both our parents were. He always just told us to go do it, Mm -hmm. go run, whatever. He would just shove us in there and let us go. Um, But then really we got um, 
When we were working for Springland, we were the uh, sales crew for the UTL40 auger, which was a brand new product on the market. It was a UTRAF auger, which was the first of its kind. And so a lot of the features on it, people didn't understand. And so we were young 20-year-old women selling this. So there was a lot of factors involved, um, but that was really our first glimpse into stereotypes in the ag world. Um, lots of people didn't want to listen to us or wouldn't believe us or thought we we weren't the farmers. And yeah, so that was really the big push behind starting our page as well. Yeah, breaking the mold and changing some of that sexism that we saw in those years. So where do you think the future really lies for you guys from an operations standpoint, but also, you know, this social media standpoint and really the uh, campaign, I guess I could say, that you guys have really built on? Uh, We have some things that we're working on. So we are hopefully going to be starting our own company on top of all the other things that we're doing. Um, So it's a little bit secret right now, but we are working on something um, behind the scenes. And then as far as the tulips, I think we're just going to keep kind of rolling with it. We kind of took a break. We Yeah, we've been taking a break this month. Well, actually, the last like two months, we haven't taken a break in three years. Um, but we really enjoy it, the creative process. And we kind of don't really go with a plan. We kind of just let it flow out of us the way it naturally would. And that seems to be the best way for us to keep it fun and enjoyable not for like us. Not like another job. Yeah, <laughs> not like another job. Because <laughs> that side we try to keep fun because it's just kind of a little side hustle that we enjoy doing. Well, for our audience that does want to follow along with your story, where can they find you guys out on the web? Um, on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, which those the last <laughs> two were not very good at, but um, Instagram's our main thing, but it's the tulips. <laughs> and we'll hopefully have a website launching here soon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I assume that that's all going to be you. <laughs> so. Well, ladies, thank you again so much for joining me. Definitely appreciated this conversation and really trying to get the ball rolling when it comes to women being a big part of agriculture. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having us. again there to the tulips for coming on and chatting with me. I thought it was a wonderful conversation when we're talking about women being in the ag industry and what they're trying to do up in Canada. I know that they're extra cold Delaney. So I feel like you and I don't really have anything to talk about because it's like negative double digits where they're at. That's true. (laughs) That's true. You always have to think that while it might be cold here in the U.S., our poor Canadians are suffering from even colder weather. But hopefully they're warming up a bit here today. And folks, we hope that you're staying warm indoors. And if you need a little bit of extra entertainment, you can always tune back into the Ag News Daily podcast at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.